well this morning. So we're going to continue our study in the Ten Commandments. Um, it's been good, hasn't it? Seeing freedom in these rules. And I've got the privilege of tackling um, commandment number eight. I'm sure you're quite familiar with it. Do not steal. And I can imagine you're probably thinking, well, I know this. Do not steal. I get it. It's pretty obvious. There's nothing to tell. Well, just give me a chance. Because there's actually a bit that I want to actually unpack from this. But before we get there, before we get deep into the meaning of this commandment, let's first look at the Ten Commandments as a whole. Because as as we've been doing this study, we've been trying to answer this question. Well, what have the Ten Commandments got to do with me? And really, this commandment, do not steal, only makes sense if you understand the commandments as a whole and the reason they exist. I think when we hear the Ten Commandments, we automatically think rules, don't we? Rules for moral living, rules for being a good person, rules for being obedient to God, just these sort of religious-y rules. And this kind of thinking comes from this idea that that's what the Bible's all about. It's just about rules and laws and teachings on how to be a good person. With this added hope that by being a good person, we might somehow win favour with God. And if we're lucky enough and we do enough good things and we win enough favour with God, we might actually get to go to heaven. I'm sure and I hope no one believes that here this morning. But this is quite common in the world and it kind of creeps into the church a bit. This idea that religion, that the Bible, that the church, is just about teaching good morals. It's just about teaching good laws, just about teaching respect and how to be a good person. My daughter does this kids' dance class every Saturday And last weekend, she actually had her dance recital at the entertainment centre. She was all dressed up, got on stage in front of hundreds of people. She had um, makeup and lipstick. That was weird for me, but the whole thing was good. Anyway, I get the privilege of taking her every Saturday to a dance routine, a dance class. And it's set up so that all the kids go into um, one room and do their, their dance routine, and all the parents sort of sit out in another room. There's like a little window that we can sort of peep in and see they're okay. But for the most part, for 45 minutes, we just sit in this little room, all these parents sitting out there. Now, all these uh, parents, uh, the the kids that are going in there, they're around four to five. So they're about to start school. They're about to go into prep. And so while we've been sitting in this room, there's been lots of conversations about four or five different days about what um, school these parents are going to send their children. And there's been a number of conversations about how they want to try and get their kid to the local Catholic school. That's the sought-after school, apparently. But as we talk about this, as they talk about this, they're very quick to justify themselves. You know, I don't believe in God. I'm not religious at all. But I want my kid to learn respect. I want them to learn good behaviours. So that's why I want them to go to this school. I'm sure most of you have heard this kind of thing before, you know. Send your kids to the religious school, or to the youth group, or the, the local church. Not for God, but the hope is that we can sort of throw out all the God stuff, all the religious stuff, and just learn good morals, just learn respect, just learn how to be a good person. Of course, this doesn't work, does it? Because it's our beliefs that drives our behaviour. And without belief in God, the whole thing of moral living, it just falls apart, it doesn't make sense. Because it's our belief in God that drives us to live rightly. And so the Ten Commandments, as we look at them, They're first and foremost about God. The point of the law, the point of these commandments is 
not simply to show us what it means to live rightly or what moral goodness kind of looks like, but the purpose is to convict us of sin, to really make very clear our unrighteousness. There was another preacher at another church and they were going through the commandments just like we've been. Over 10 weeks, they did the whole study. And while they are going through it, they did the first three, um, got up to the, the Sabbath one, got up to the fourth one, and one of the guys in the congregation came up to the pastor and he said, you know, he's been enjoying the study, that sort of thing. But then he said, as, he, um, as he'd been going through it, and as he put it, he said, uh, currently, he's zero for three. And then he went on to say that, having read ahead a little bit, the best he was going to hope for was one out of ten. And then, of course, he came back later that day to say that after some further study, he'd revised his estimate and he was going to be zero for ten. I love this story because it's brutally honest, isn't it? But it's extremely helpful in understanding what the Ten Commandments are all about, what their purpose is. So this morning, what we're going to find is that when we consider the Ten Commandments, when we look at this command to do not steal, when we proclaim the law, we are unescapably categorised. We are by definition lawbreakers. We're all going to find ourselves zero for ten. Now, with all that being said, let's get to the text, let's get to the, the, the meat of it. Exodus 20:15. it says, you shall not steal. There's a couple that some of you will probably know very well. They used to go to this church, they're currently living in Rockhampton. I've got permission to tell their story, and it's actually on Facebook anyway. Their name's Jason and Claire. And as I said, they live in Rockhampton with their two young kids. And in the middle of the night, about a month ago, a month or so ago, um, while they were sleeping, while the two young kids were sleeping in another room, some guys broke into their house, you know, walked around, found where the car keys were, grabbed their car keys, took the car keys out to the car that was parked outside, grabbed their car and stole their car. They had it for a few days. And while they had it, they scratched it up and keyed it. They ripped up some carpet, they tagged the inside, spray-painted, whatever. Um, they kind of just trashed it in every way they could. They actually used it as well to do some other robberies. I think they stole some stuff from a service station or something. And by the time the police found it, it was so trashed that it was a high possibility it was just going to be written off. And the crazy thing is, from what I'm told, this kind of thing is a bit of a trend. These guys posted up the whole experience on social media. And apparently you can go online and you can watch these sort of things online. And that really illustrates the problem of stealing, doesn't it? This problem of stealing, it doesn't matter what city you're in, what country, what continent in the globe you're in, we're going to have this problem of theft. And the Bible tells us many times that it's wrong to steal, but with greater force. Showing that when we steal, what we're doing is we're abusing God's law. We're defiling God's creation. We're neglecting to do what God has called us to do. And this is underpinned by two very important biblical principles. So stick with me this morning. Number one, the right to private property. And number two, the sovereign ownership of God over all that he has made. What we might not realise when we look at the Eighth Commandment is it presupposes not that we're living in some sort of 
um, unified, utopian society where everyone just shares everything and everyone has equal stuff, but rather that we're living with this right to, uh, this privilege of private property. Property that God has provided for us. Property, uh, property that is therefore sacred to the owner of that property. So this is the, the first thing, this is fundamental to this command. We have a right to have stuff. We have stuff that is ours. Stuff that God has given us. But God also wants us to know that all this stuff that we have, all these things that we have, which are ours, we need to understand that they're not really ours. What we own is not really our own. Because all ownership is derived ownership. And so when you read through um, the creation story, when you read through Genesis 1 and 2, you don't have time, you can do it in your own time. But what you'll find is that when God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, he gives them this mandate to oversee it, to take care of it, to, to tend the garden, to exercise their authority over his creation. It's their responsibility, but they're not the owners of what God has given them. In the same way, all the things that we have come as a result of God's kindness towards us. It's not actually ours, but it's God's. This is where tithing can actually kind of be a little bit dangerous sometimes, because we start to think, we get this mentality that, well, 10% is God's, and 90% is mine. God gets this little bit of it, and then the rest is mine. No, no, it's always 100% God's. So we need to understand the importance of someone's personal property. And I'm sure if I went around the room this morning, if I asked each one of you and said, do you think it's wrong to steal? Everyone's going to go, yes, of course. We know this. It's even in the commandments. But what we need to understand is that when we steal from another person, we do not simply steal from them or sin against them, but we steal from someone else. We steal from God. We sin against Him. Because when we steal from someone else, what we do is we harm them. We disregard them. We devalue them. And by doing that, we sin against God. Because it's God who has given them all their stuff. It's God who has given them what they have. It is He who has given them regard. It's because of Him that they have value. So, we need to understand, stealing is done against people. Yes, we know this. But ultimately, it is done against God. But this raises another question. No, I haven't stolen anything. I mean, what ways do we steal? How do we actually do it? Now, this morning, I will look at 13 ways in which we steal. Some of them are going to be obvious, some not so much. And for a bit of irony, for full disclosure, I'm going to be very clear, I did not make this list up. I've stolen it. <laughs> this list comes from a, a fantastic preacher. His name's Alistair Begg, B-E-G-G. He's a Scottish pastor. You can look him up. He does a Truth For Life podcast. Anyway, this is his list. I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel. He's got a good list. I'm going to use it. But for more disclosure, as I went through this list and as I studied about this, I realized that, hey, most of the time, this is me. I was convicted at just about every turn. So, how do we steal? Number one, we break it by blatant theft. This one's pretty obvious, right? The story of the car being stolen, that shows it. This is what we're talking about, is in intentionally taking something from someone else, something that belongs to them. When I was working as an electrician on a certain construction site that I won't name, 
um, dealing was rampant. People were always stealing tools and all sorts of stuff. Um, someone was actually caught stealing toilet paper. I don't know why, this was pre-COVID stuff, single-ploy toilet paper, anyway. All sorts of dodgy stuff were going on. And one afternoon, um, while we were leaving site, there was 400 of us all packed into this ferry. We all sort of sat down, and one of the lads came in and carefully put his bag on the shelf and then sat down. And as the ferry moved, the bag must have shifted or something, and then there was this whirring sound. And so everyone sort of kind of heard it and was wondering what it was and kind of murmuring amongst themselves, but no one really said anything or did anything. But it turns out what he'd done is stolen a battery gel, shoved it like in his lunchbox or something, shoved it in his bag somehow, so that when the ferry moved and the bag moved, it pushed the trigger on. And so that whirring sound was the drill going off in his bag. I'm pretty sure he got caught. But that's blatant theft. Pretty obvious, right? All right, number two. We break it when we borrow and fail to return what has been borrowed. Okay, like I said, full disclosure. This hit me. I was convicted pretty quickly because I have some books, some DVDs, some things that I've borrowed, probably with every intention to return, and I just haven't. Laziness, forgetfulness, whatever. For whatever reason, I've still got them. I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure you're probably thinking about some stuff that's on your shelf or in a shed or in the garage somewhere. I actually borrowed a push bike from one of the young adults here. Um, I've had it for like nine months. I've been for like one short ride. And so as I was going through this, I was like, yeah, I better confront him. So I asked him about it and said, you know, do you want your bike back? And he was cool with it. I'll oh, keep it a bit longer. That's fine. <laughs> but the thing is, uh, the point is that if we make a career out of borrowing and never return it, what we actually do is making a career out of theft. And if you don't believe me, Psalm 37:21 makes it pretty clear. The wicked borrow and do not repay. All right, so that's two. We're getting through them. Number three, we break it when we fail to clear ourselves of debt when we're able to do so. So this one is not so much about paying off your home loan or your car loan or something like that, but this is those times when you're in a sticky situation and someone bails you out. Someone gives you some extra cash to help you get by. And then when the circumstances change, you don't repay the debt. It's probably most often seen in families. I know my wife and I are paying my parents-in-law back for something slowly on a week, you know, weekly um, deposit that comes out. But I also know that they've lent some stuff to other people that they're just never going to get back. And so if we're to borrow and never clear that debt, what we're actually doing is stealing. And the sad part about this one is it's stealing on two levels. Because not only does it rob that person from the money that should be in their account, but it also robs them the opportunity or the chance to be able to give that money to someone else who might be in need. Another family member, whatever. All right, that's three. Number four. We break this commandment when we fiddle the books. If you like, we use false weights or measures. I think it's pretty obvious, I'm not going to get into it too much, but the biggest example I could think of was around tax time. You know, claiming just a little more deductions, fudging the numbers, claiming stuff even within the rules, but it's not completely accurate. And you might say at this point, oh, it's just the government. You know, I pay so much tax anyway. Why should I get a little back? I deserve a little back. But if you really think about it, 
when you're using inaccurate measures to get that back, it's stealing, isn't it? All right, number five. We break it when we misuse our employer's property or our employer's time. Now, like I said, this one got to me as well because I love a bit of office banter. I love joking around in the office. But there's this book entitled, it's a little bit old now, but it's called The Day America Told the Truth. And it revealed that uh, uh, workers admitting to spending more than 20% of their time at work goofing off, mucking around, being silly, not doing their work. So if you've worked that out, it takes a five-day week and makes it a four-day week, if my maths is correct. And so in this, this case, it's really th this practice of stealing is stealing a day a week from the employer. Again, this might sound a little petty. We've got to have a bit of morale in the office. But really, any way you look at it, it's a form of stealing. So much so that apparently companies now have to factor this into their budgets and whatever else. So just consider this idea of stealing, particularly when you've got the privilege of having a company car, company tools, you know, provided company phones, trips, training, whatever it is. If you misuse your employer's property or their time, it's stealing. All right, number six. We break it when we just flat out waste other people's possessions. Kind of similar to the one before. In Luke 16, 1, Jesus begins this parable. A rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. That's what we're talking about. And I know when speaking to people who have rental properties, this kind of thing happens a lot. They get the good renters, you know, who look after the house and keep it clean and do the lawns and all that sort of stuff. And then they get the renters who just treat the place like garbage. And what these renters are saying is, it's okay to steal from the landlord. There's some sort of idea that because they don't own the place, they can just treat it however they want. I probably just want to say as Christians, we should be different. We should ensure that we're not wasting stuff that belongs to other people. All right, number seven. We steal from others when we pay bad wages or we withhold wages or delay the payment of wages. Essentially, this is about depriving someone from the fruit of their labours, not paying when payment is due. Now think about for a moment copies of dubbed, uh, you know, dubbed copies of movies or music. You remember that ad at the beginning of the DVD from a little while ago now? I think it was at the movies as well. It had the man committing theft of various objects. He goes, you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a handbag. You wouldn't steal a television. You wouldn't steal a movie. Downloading pirated films is stealing. Stealing is against the law. Okay, I know I don't have the good movie voice, but you get it. <laughs> but the point was to equate this form of stealing with illegally downloading a film, with this slogan, piracy is a crime. And that's exactly it. Withholding payment where payment is due. And really, if you really think about it, any failure to pay properly is a form of stealing. And James gives a lot of weight to this. He says in James 5.4, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. If we withhold wages when we don't pay, when we should be paying for something, that's stealing. All right, number eight. We're hitting the halfway mark. We break this commandment 
when, as adult sons and daughters, we fail to make return to our parents when they need our help. So James shared this this um, last week. We're called to honour our father and mother. It's another one of the commandments. So when they get older, we have this obligation to care for them. And if we don't, when we don't, we steal. Now just pause here for a moment because you'll start to see that these commandments kind of cross over. Consider the sixth commandment, do not murder. If someone murders, what are they doing? They're taking a life. They're stealing someone's life, the life that God has given them. Consider commandment one and two. Um, If we were to have other gods before the one true God, if we were to make idols to a different God, what are we doing? We're stealing from God the glory that he has deserved. So if we fail to make return to our parents when they need help, we are stealing. And Proverbs 28, 24 says this, Whoever robs their father or mother and says it's not wrong is partner to one who destroys. In other words, if you treat your mum or dad like this, and I'm sure I've done this, then we're robbing them. And the Bible makes this point that we're stealing and actually counts us with a murderer. So if we decide, even though our parents have provided for us, they've taken care of us, they've looked after us as we were kids, that we can just now take all that and just forget them at their point of need, then we're stealing. All right, number nine. We steal when we damage the reputation of others by the sin of slander. This one's maybe not so obvious. But if we speak about someone in a derogatory way, maybe we gossip about them, speak behind their backs, put them down in some way, what we're doing is we're hurting their reputation. We're stealing from them their good reputation and potentially doing more damage than actually taking their physical possessions. Are you with me this morning? Okay. Four more to go. We steal from other people when, as a result of fornication, we take away their moral purity. Now, I'm not going to dig into this. This gets into the commandment to not commit adultery. But I think this point is particularly for all you young people, you young boys out there. Don't steal this. Until you're married, every girl is a sister, is a daughter of God. So hands off, right? Don't steal from God. Don't steal the moral purity. That's all I'm going to say on that one. Okay, number 11. We steal when we take work which was done by someone else and make it appear as if it is our own. Probably similar to the list that I'm stolen out of this one. But anyway, <laughs> this is simply called plagiarism. We, we know this particularly in the ac academic world, right? Someone says, I did it, and they didn't do it. They stole it from someone else. They wanted to make it look like it was their own and claimed it as their own, but it was someone else's work. And what they're trying to do is exalt themselves by stealing from someone else. All right, number 12. We steal from others when we cheat or deceive. This is most often seen in the context of the classroom. You know, cheating on a test, that sort of thing. But really, any sort of deception, any sort of lying to try and gain something that is not ours, is stealing. There's a very popular Australian cartoon. Um, I think most people here would know it. It's called Bluey. If you've got young kids, your grandkids, I'm sure you know Bluey. If you don't, 
that's okay. Put simply, it's a cartoon of a family of dogs. They're, they're healers. There's a mum, there's a dad, and there's two sisters, Bluey and Bingo. One particular episode called Turtle Boy, great episode, features Bingo and her dad um, going to the playground on several occasions. When they get to the playground, they find that someone has left a toy turtle, which Bingo then dubs Turtle Boy, a little soft toy turtle. And so she asks her dad, well, while they're at the park, can I play with it? And he says, yeah, I guess that's fine. But she's been playing with it for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is. And so she expects that when she, can when she leaves, she can just take it with her. And the dad says, no, you've got to leave it here. And as every good four-year-old does, she asks this question, why? And this leads to what I've dubbed bluey morals. The dad responds, well, it's just not the done thing. So they leave, another kid comes with his mum and goes through a similar scenario. Plays with the toy, wants to keep it, and the mum responds, no. Honey, its owners might be looking for it. This happens again the next day. This time it's the mum who says, no, it's not the done thing. On the third day, Bingo asks her dad, well, when can I take it home? And he says, if it's still here tomorrow, I guess you can take it home but I'm not sure it's the done thing. And so it looks like it's about to rain as they're leaving, so Bingo very cleverly decides, well, maybe I'll put it under the little barbecue area. And if I can ensure that it's still here tomorrow, I get to keep it, she finds a bit of newspaper and she covers it up. And so the next day she goes to the park and she expects to find this turtle boy there, and it's not there. It turns out that the other kid had come after her with his mum, found the toy and put it somewhere else. And so Bingo tells her dad, and he thinks, well, this is good. The owners must have come back. They must have found it. And Bingo knows better. She says, no, that's not what happened. Then confesses to her dad that she didn't want the owners to find it, to find this turtle boy. And so she hid him under the newspaper. And he responds by saying, well, that's definitely not the done thing. Now, I share this story because, well, I love Bluey. But actually, it involves stealing and deception sort of coupled with this worldly view of morals. You know, we don't steal, we don't deceive, because it's simply not the done thing. But there's much more to the story, isn't there? Because everything that we do has consequence. There's kind of like a domino effect to everything we do. And when it comes to lying, when it comes to deception, somewhere in the long run, the liar is someone who becomes a thief. Essentially, a thief of truth. All right, that's 12. One more to go. Number 13. We steal by failing to give God what we owe Him. Let's briefly look at Malachi chapter 3. I'm sure we're familiar with this. Every good giving message has this. Malachi 3.8 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Basically, what God is saying is that you're telling me one thing, but you're doing another. You're telling me that you're committed to me, but there's no apparent commitment. So he goes on. You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? So the issue, the issue is that they were holding back when they could have given to God. They weren't prepared to trust in his provision. And the sad part is they actually miss out on what God wanted to do, 
to throw open the floodgates, to, to pour out heaven, to pour out a blessing that they couldn't contain. But they were depriving God, they were stealing from him the opportunity to show himself strong. And I guess this is a promise for Israel, but the promise still applies. When God's people are prepared to trust God and not seek to steal from him, with this understanding that everything comes from God in the end anyway, then the blessings which he will pour out on his people are unimaginable. And I guess this is about money, but equally it has to do with our time, our intellect, our will, all that we are. When we don't trust God, we rob him of the opportunity to show his goodness to us. So there you go. There's 13 ways in which we steal. There's probably more to the list I could go on, but you get the point, right? So what should we be doing? Where does this actually leave us? If theft is about getting, it's about taking, it's about getting something that's not ours and, and taking it to ourselves, then the Christian obedient life must be something else. Ephesians 4.28 makes it pretty clear. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So the thief then is not someone who in coming to Christ just simply stops being a thief. But the thief is someone whose hands were used for, for taking, for stealing, now comes to God and has his hands transformed and used to give, to share. It's an incredible transformation when you think about it. There's someone whose life was marked with dishonesty, now his life is marked with honesty. He used to take from people, now he's called to give. And if I can go on, in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, it says we should do everything in our powers to prosper others. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Now take that principle, right? No one should seek his own good, but the good of others. Just, just imagine in a perfect world, just imagine a world where everyone actually did that. Everyone was actually going around seeking the good of others rather than themselves. Wouldn't that radically transform things? It's kind of the, the flip side of the Eighth Commandment. It's the, the other side of the coin. Instead of taking, instead of stealing, we're called to give. So we agree. You should not steal, right? Stealing is more than just blatant theft. There's a whole raft of things where we can include as stealing. And ultimately, stealing is against God because stealing harms others, it devalues them, it devalues what God has given them. So the Eighth Commandment is a call to generosity. But the Eighth Commandment also shows me something. It shows me that I have a problem. It reminds me that I live in a real world. It reminds me that in that real world, I am the thief. I'm reminded that I've broken this commandment again and again, and I'll probably break it again. And it shows me that I cannot in and of myself cure this disease. So it turns me to Christ. And if I can ask the team to come up. The point is that when we consider the Eighth Commandment and really all the Ten Commandments, we realize that we're guilty of not keeping them. When we look at the Ten Commandments, like I said before, we're zero for ten. Until the law of God confronts us with our sin 
and our need for a saviour, in whom we then will trust, any explanation of the Ten Commandments will fall on deaf ears. Because the Ten Commandments are not a way to gain acceptance from God. I'll say that again. The Ten Commandments are not a way to gain acceptance with God. But, rather, they are the guidelines for free living, lived out by those who through by faith have believed in the provision of Jesus Christ. Free living for those of us who have come to know Jesus. When we look at this commandment, we should desire that God would change us from those who would steal no longer to those who would give. To be those who would be marked with generosity and to have this desire that it would benefit others, that it would prosper others. But this is something that only God can change in us. It's something we can't do by ourselves. But it is a change that begins with a repentant heart, confessing our sin before God, confessing that we've broken these commandments, and then believing in our hearts that Christ has died for us, and that He alone can save us from our guilt and our shame. And so the critical point is this. We are either those who having broken the law, having recognised that we're zero for ten, having recognised that we haven't kept these commandments, and so we've come to Christ for salvation and trust in that alone. Or, we are those who remain as unbelievers. And so if we are those who have come to Christ for salvation, we are then those who are saying, teach me from your word, teach me God the parameters of freedom, Teach me what they are. Teach me how to live in them. If you remember the story that Pastor James said a few times now of the fish escaping to land and thinking it's free. And imagine the fish flapping around on the shore bank there. It's a great illustration because it shows the devastating result of living outside the parameters of freedom. Those that are given in God's law. The freedom that we find in the Ten Commandments. So, in answering this question, what do the commandments got to do with me? Well, belief in who God is, as He is holy, as He is perfect, as He is the owner of all things, as He is the provider, as He is the one who shows grace and mercy, an understanding of who we are, we are sinners, we are lawbreakers, we are guilty before God, will drive us to fall at His feet. And by His grace, by His mercy already received, by the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we have forgiveness in Him, we now desire to live in obedience to Him. It actually comes down to the fact that Jesus is at the door of your heart. He's knocking. He's seeking entry. He's seeking to change you. He's seeking to transform you. He's seeking to take my stealing and to turn it into giving, into generosity. He's seeking to take my deadness and to turn it into life. He's seeking to take my darkness and turn it to light. So today, this morning, if you hear his voice, if you hear his call, will you not turn to him? Let me pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for these commandments that show us how to live in freedom. God, we just thank you that 
recognizing we haven't kept these commandments, recognizing we haven't followed you and haven't been obedient, that you have made a way through Jesus that we can know you, that we can have forgiveness, and that we can actually be empowered to live in these commands, that we can be empowered to live in freedom. And we thank you, God, that it's for freedom that you have set us free, that you've given us life and life more abundantly. And we just pray that you would transform us from those who would steal to steal no longer, and we would be marked with generosity and love to give. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Well done, Scott. Give me a big hand this morning. You did a wonderful job. Just reminds me of, does anyone know John 10.10? 10, the one that came to steal, the devil tried to steal our joy and our relationship with Jesus. But then it goes on to say that Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. So heaven, we stand and sing this morning and celebrate this abundant life that God has given to each and every one of us.
said the great thing is those commandments aim us towards Jesus and his salvation, amen don't, don't wipe them out just because they're in the Old Testament we're a part of the Old Testament so take some time uh, to uh, have a coffee, a cup of tea or something after here and uh, have a great week if you aren't able to stay bless you all